Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Just a note for listeners, anyone that hasn't downloaded the UK Investor Magazine mobile app, please do so. It's uh, available on the Apple App Store as well as Google Play. So it has our podcast latest stories as well as a selection of videos from our virtual conferences. So do check that out. For today's podcast, we're going to be discussing a number of UK equities as well as main market themes out there at the moment. And to do that, we're joined kindly once more by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being with us today. Morning, John. Good to be back. So we've actually got a pretty interesting podcast today, Alan. There's, there's a number of FTSE 100 companies that we're going to discuss, as well as um, some growth stocks listed here in London that we're going to touch on. But before we get into the individual equities, Alan, let's just look at the bigger picture here in markets. One thing that struck me earlier on this week is the importance of tech stocks. We have talked in some detail about tech stocks previously on the podcast, but it seems as though as we go into 2022, their significant weighting in US indices, and of course, US indices power over the global equity market in terms of tracking the returns there is a particularly prevalent theme that we're seeing. I mean, if you look back to Monday of this week, we did at one point see the NASDAQ, which is a tech heavy index in the United States, was down 4% when it started. We did see a strong rally through that session to see these indices then become broadly flat. And, and that optimism in, in tech stocks was then evident in the FTSE 100. We saw a rally yesterday as uh, as people bought into that optimism. And again, today, we're actually trading on the FTSE 100 at the highest levels since the beginning of the pandemic, trading above 7,500 now. And that 7,500 level is quite an important psychological level, I feel for the uh, for the FTSE. But Alan, in your view, I mean, we've obviously seen the move in tech stocks and what that's done to global equity indices so far this week. Is this a theme you think is going to continue through 2020, given we saw some comments from the Federal Reserve uh, Chair Powell yesterday in terms of where he saw inflation peaking in the middle of uh, of this year? And that obviously has impact on uh, on interest rates. Maybe not seeing the uh, the the sharp cycle and increase in uh, in interest rates that was previously thought. That has ignited a rally in, in tech stocks, and people have seen that uh, and indices moving higher and, and really bought into that optimism. And mm. I mean, is this going to be a key trend you see going through twenty twenty two? In as far as if tech stocks are going up, we're going to see positivity in markets and if tech stocks are going down are we, are we going to continue to see uh negativity is that a trend you think set to continue oh <clears throat> without a doubt jonathan i think um you look at uh yeah you've got companies like apple google and tesla you know powering powering higher and of course um the expectations of investors in, in terms of what these companies can deliver in the future. And I read an interesting article yesterday about Tesla. Um, and uh, uh, it, th- this was about a year ago when they looked at um, the the mineral resources Tesla require to fuel their production run. And I think back in a year or so ago, 
they produced half a million cars in a year. And in a few years, they're aiming to produce 20 million cars. Now, if they do that, um, that will hoover up instantly 30% of the nickel that's produced uh, from mining companies worldwide. Never mind the never mind the rest of the uh, 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 of the minerals required to 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 build an electric car. So that would mean that uh, that would mean that Tesla would have to acquire some of its competitors and also in order to get access to that supply. So so it's these factors when you've got. Um, an industry like the EV industry, which uh, is front and centre of everything we do now, um, that that is going to uh, the, the ramifications of that demand are going to be so far-reaching. It's going to reach into obviously across the mining sector, the junior mining sector, and it's going to underpin, in my opinion, uh, what I've always sp- spoken about, which is the commodity supercycle. And if we have that ongoing, then regardless of concerns elsewhere regardless of the you know the ongoing threat of covid and the the next uh, mutation uh, or the next variant that comes out i think the underlying uh, the underlying drivers for this continued growth and expectations in the technology sector will continue to power and, and fuel everything going forward and um that's that's been my my stance and view on the market uh, really since um since late 20 late um in 2020 Yes, indeed. I mean, you mentioned commodity stocks there. I mean, the, the FTSE 100 doesn't have uh, a significant level of, of tech stocks. Obviously, it's got digital uh, companies in there, which are really shifted. I mean, Flutter is a, a very good example there on online um, betting. Um, you know, of course, Ocado. But, you know, in terms of making comparisons to, to the United States, you know, we, we're very low on technology companies. So our weighting is, of course, towards the commodity companies it's quite interesting today uh, alan to note looking at the the top five rises on the FTSE 100 they're all miners you have bhb antofagasta anglo glencore and rio tinto leading the the way and, and that's down to a number of factors uh, we've seen some disruption in brazil and the iron ore uh, market and there's expectations that steel production is going to pick up in in china so that's helping um with the the, the optimism there so I mean, you obviously mentioned there that we're going to be seeing a drive forward in commodities. I mean, sort of looking at, at you know the potential of you know interest rate hikes here in the in the UK. Is does that make the FTSE 100 immune to some extent to what the the Bank of England does? Because you know that that market in commodities mm. is particularly global, and you know what we're seeing here. In uh, in the UK, and you know, any, any impact of interest rates on the UK economy doesn't really impact these these companies. So, you know, could we yeah. see that the FTSE 100 power on if we do see interest rate hikes that could maybe hold back some of the economic recovery we're seeing in the UK? Well, I think I think um, it's that underlying strength that the Bank of Bank of England will be looking to in order to. Uh, prosecute their interest rate uh, 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 policy going forward because um, a raise of a quarter of 1% isn't really going to um, upset the apple cart too much. Of course, we talked before about um, the ending of furlough schemes. You know, some companies finding that um, they simply can't survive, so companies go to the wall. But of course, there are new emerging industries that uh, will pick up some of that slack. Um, 
But overall, if you've got a, a strong commodity market, that will continue to see the FTSE power higher. So, um, so if the Bank of England takes the view and looks at the commodity uh, market, looks at the changing uh, the, the uh, technology, the clean energy industry, the EV industry, the battery gigafactories, all the rest of it, they look at that market going forward. I think they'll look at that as a supportive factor and, um, you know, they'll be able to keep a, keep tabs on inflation by uh, maybe putting out a, an interest rate rise of a quarter of 1% into a market that uh, is bullish on the back of, of commodity strength. So, um, so I, don't, I don't see it as a factor that's going to hold the FTSE back in any way at all this year. Indeed, indeed. That's going to be a particularly interesting story to, to watch and see how that develops. Uh, now, in terms of you know, the UK domestic uh, market, we've got two companies we're going to discuss now, Alan, which have updated the market today. And they're particularly uh, important for uh, the UK economy because they give a good indication of how we've been behaving over the last period. And, and that's actually the uh, the festive period. So first up, we've got Sainsbury's, the, the supermarket. Um, having a quick look through their updates uh, this morning, and they seem to be taking on the, the discounters and, and it seems to be paying off for them. It certainly does. It's such a competitive sector though, isn't it? Uh, um, I mean, Sainsbury's shares are, of course, up uh, 1.5% today. But, uh, you know, if you look at the cycle of the share price action over the past five years, um, we're about mid-cycle. I mean, the over that period, you've seen highs of 3.34 back in 2018. Of course, the um, the mid-COVID lows of about £1.82. Here we are today at uh, 283 pence um, per share. Um, but uh, but certainly, uh, they've delivered a pretty good performance because it, the the discounting is fierce. You know, you've got. You've got competition from uh, the, the the biggest UK player, of course, Tesco. You've got um, um, Asda. You've got uh, you've got Little and Aldi all vying for position. And then, of course, you've got the upmarket brands like Waitrose um, and and Marks and Spencer's Food. So it, it's a very competitive sector, and they've grown sales by one point four percent over the past two years, and um, they're better than expected results from groceries and cost savings um, uh, has uh, enabled the group to up their full year profit guidance uh, by 60 million to 720 million and that's a pretty good performance in the middle of uh, of you know what's this hugely competitive fight and of course the other factor is of course they uh, all the stores now do their own online deliveries but they're you're facing online competition from some of the bigger players and of course when amazon come in and uh, really start to uh, aggressively market that, then that's a, another dimension altogether. But certainly, um, the Sainsbury's are reducing prices uh, in line with the discounts, uh, uh, w- w- with the discounts, um, the, the discounters out there, and they are increasing market share off the back of that. Um, and of course, thanks, thankfully, there was no lockdown in the run up to Christmas, so uh, the shops were full. Uh, uh, you know, shoppers were were sort of helping themselves to all the festive goodies on offer. Um, and, of course, Sainsbury's do have uh, really a wider range on offer than uh, the the likes of Aldi and, and Lidl. Uh, you know, both of those are fine if you want to go in and buy sort of uh, uh, buy stuff, you know, in certain sectors. But um, to have all of the leading brands under one roof, which, of course, Sainsbury's has, is, is a pretty unique offering. But, you know, uh, is this an investable 
uh, company longer term. Well, yeah, if you if you if you've held shares in them for years, you receive a dividend yield of about three point seven percent. So, yeah, it's okay. Um, would I buy it for growth going forward? I can't see really a great deal of further growth, but equally. Um, you know, it's it, this is um, a good performance by management. Um, I think they'll, I think they'll, um, they'll, they'll be able to build on this. And of course, um, uh, the, the the fact that Sainsbury's acquired Argus too does give them another dimension in the market. So, um, so they will have to continue to innovate. Uh, I think not just to stand still, uh, which is effectively what they're doing at the moment, but they'll have to innovate and continue to innovate. Um, you know, because the competition is so fierce. Yes, I mean, I think over the Christmas period, what they've they've done there, and you know, this is a strategy that seems to be paying out, is having, as you mentioned, that that mix of uh, they're bringing in the budget lines to, to bring people in, but over the festive period, people people want something a little bit nicer, and they want those brands. So having them all in one place seems to have paid off for them during that uh, that Christmas period, and of course, there's in in the background is uh, the potential interest in, in takeovers of the UK supermarkets. Of course, we saw the deal with, with Morrison's uh, and we have seen spikes in, in Sainsbury's as this activity has been taking place. So I don't think that's gone away. It's just quieting down for the moment. So that's a particularly interesting uh, p- potential move of the share price going forward in, in Sainsbury's and some of the other supermarkets. So, uh, you know, that's a, that's definitely a story to watch. So reasonable update there from, from Sainsbury's. So another one here, and this is, this is, this is a company that, in, in my view, seems to be uh, really going against the trend of, of the high street and maybe a little bit immune to some of the uh, woes that we're seeing elsewhere. I mean, I just know from my own experience going to uh, Westfield in, in Stratford, you know, the, the Christmas in, in 2020 and also last year, uh, always uh, packed, all, always, uh, you know, in some circumstances, I've seen queues out of the door um, many people long. That was, of course, during the, the restrictions. It's JD Sports. They've had, you know, from looking at what they've done in Westfield, they've taken over a larger unit uh, there. So they seem to be doing very well. And they've updated the market this morning. Alan, what does that look like? Well, it's remarkable, Jonathan, isn't it? You know, we have these, uh, you know, we're all talking about uh, what a tough time the retailers are having. But last week we saw next break records again. Um, Sainsbury's just delivered a, 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 a pretty good performance overall. But of course, JD Sports, I mean, shares are slightly off today, off 2% after a very strong run um, over the past year. Uh, you know, that's, um, that's a really good looking chart. Um, but uh, I mean, look at the res- look at the results. I mean, the like for like revenues were up ten percent in the twenty two weeks to the first of January um, compared to the same period previously, and of course, you know that that they benefited from uh, no lockdown. Black Friday and Christmas sales uh, did well, and yeah, this is another retailer that's carved out its niche. Um, it's got all the sporting equipment, all the sports shirts, all the the soccer shirts. Uh, that uh, that the youngsters want to buy, and um, yeah, I mean it's the same. The store in Brighton is always chock full, and um, and they've got a they've got a unique retail model which has has worked very well for years. Um, so um, th- th- they said that uh, profits for the year will now be some um, will now beat expectations of eight hundred and ten million as high as eight hundred and seventy five million, um, and of course uh, with. With, with the as the market returns to normal, I think the the only question mark over over this, this sort of retailing is um, is uh, is this 
is the spend that we've seen in the run-up to Christmas a bit of a relief spend because there's no uh, there's no lockdown? Is it pent-up spending for the from the previous few years, or has a lot of that money gone online? So I think uh, I think it, that's the only question mark going forward. Is there further growth to come? And I think uh, probably the jury is out on that at the moment. But uh, it may be that um, JD Sports can look to cut costs elsewhere and maintain margins. But of course, that remains to be remains to be seen going forward. Yes, indeed. And I think JD Sports is, is somewhat unique because looking at their demographic, you know, maybe they're still uh, the, the sort of customer that likes to go into the stores uh, as opposed to, to shopping predominantly on online. Uh, so that's obviously supporting their, their retail or bricks and mortar retail. So that's, a, that's an interesting prospect for them going forward. But as you said, in terms of further growth, you know, they've had a tremendous few years so I'd expect that to stay fairly, fairly flat, but I don't see demand waning there for, for JD Sports at this point in time. So maybe, maybe one to look at on any dips in the uh, yeah. in the future. I agree. There I in, the in, uh, in JD. Perfect. Right. Let's move on. So we've got two growth companies now, Alan. So the first of which is one that we've discussed on the on the podcast is a particularly interesting stock and what they've done. Over the last five years, it's Bidstack. When we spoke about these previously, I had a little bit of uh, concerns about their revenue figures uh, in terms of what they were they were bringing in, and you know, of course, there's been uh, guidance given over the last couple of years which wasn't met by the by the company. But they've made uh, some milestone announcements actually uh, in in recent months, and that's really got the share price going. So, what does that look like? Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting one, Bidstack. Um, I mean, I'll declare, you know, I've I've been a holder for some time, and uh, I was underwater, and um, that's it's now come back, and um, so so the stock, of course, has <clears throat> uh, has promised uh, certainly the management promised on several occasions that they would um, that, that they would be hitting certain revenue projections, and of course they 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 were missed wildly. I think is the uh, the, 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 the right way to put it. And and I think certainly a year ago, it, there was something of an existential crisis in regard to competition and uh, others coming into the market and whether all of the all of the hurdles Bidstack have had to jump over uh, had actually been jumped over. Um, but uh, of course, Bidstack, as we know, it provides a multi-platform, uh, a multi-platform uh, advertising solution for brands to reach the gaming market which is absolutely enormous some t- worth some 260 billion i think by 2025 globally um some three and a half billion active gamers online and of course uh, when you're playing these games and you're exposed to advertising messages uh you're reaching you know a- an audience that um have a great deal of money to spend so uh this is a whole new market and Brands and agencies want to reach this market, and Bidstack have created uh, a, a, a bespoke platform that uh, provides the ROI for the advertiser, provides good visibility, uh, um, and uh, an easy to understand uh, platform for brands and agencies to, uh, to work with. Um, but it's had to jump through a lot of hoops to get there, and of course, the nature of advertising campaigns is that they're booked in, in many many cases uh, well in advance. And sometimes those campaigns are moved around. So I think the when the company is making revenue forecasts, that has to be taken into account. And indeed, in the uh, last trading update uh, just before Christmas, Bizstack said, um, of course, that uh, 
that uh, some of the um, some of the revenue it was expecting uh, would now be falling into the following year uh, for those reasons. Nonetheless, um, uh, nonetheless, the, they expect revenue for the full year to be significantly higher than last year, which was, of course, 1.7 million. Um, but prior to that, of course, there were two. Well, there was one key agreement which the company um, announced um, uh, uh, back in November. As the company signed a multi-format advertising agreement covering the mobile portfolio of one of the world's leading AAA gaming companies. Um, there's a lot of speculation about what company this is. Most people think it's EA Sports, but of course, uh, um, you know, it, 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 uh, uh, who knows? So we've not had that confirmed by the company. Nonetheless, they've got this um, exclusive exposure, which is going to expose them to an awful lot of revenue. Um, and also, uh, on the back, uh, following that, they sign a deal with uh, Azerian, uh, which is um, which uh, guarantees, uh, uh, you know, along with some of the other agreements, uh, um, a, a guaranteed minimum of thirty million dollars advertising spend over two years. Um, and of course, that won't be going to Bidstack because Bidstack takes a percentage of that um, through providing the platforms to reach the to, to, to reach the the audience. So, um, but nonetheless, it does show that Bidstack are making solid progress. And I think having been embedded into the leading publisher in the world, it's going to give uh, Bidstack really, uh, I say, first mover advantage. I, I think. They're in pole position in regard to providing this sort of platform to reach uh, to, to reach a mobile gaming audience, um, and I think now you know they've got momentum. Uh, you know, I, I'll expect to see more deals signed by the group this year, and then of course uh, the revenues will follow after that, and we'll see where the company can can go. But nonetheless, it's uh, I think what we were hoping Bidstack would do a few years ago is now starting to happen. I mean, do do you think that those delays? I mean, you mentioned the 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 competition coming into the market, and of course, there's there's been a number of other entities that have uh, received uh, venture capital money, and they've got uh, partnerships with the world's biggest uh, media agencies out there. I mean, do you think the delays that that happened at Bidstacks means that they've really missed uh, the opportunity there to become the number one player in the market, and now they're going to be scrambling to fight against other uh, in-game advertising platforms to really get that market share. Well, I think the thing is, this is a new market. So, uh, if, uh, to it's an it, well, it's opened up a whole new dimension for advertising agencies. But of course, in order to successfully uh, manage and monitor and deliver the ROI to your advertisers, you've got to be able to demonstrate how you do that. And that's what Bitsack have gone through. They've gone through that process. It's been a uh, a long drawn out and protracted process, but they are now there. They've got they've got a bespoke platform in place that delivers that. Uh, well, it serves the advertising and delivers the ROI, and uh, it, you know it it enables extreme flexibility for advertisers mid campaign to change and alter and, and do what they need to do. So, so um, any competition, of course, has got to execute on that. Prove. Uh, prove that um, that usability, if you like, and the functionality to the advertisers before they change. But of course, once you're an incumbent in that space, provided the incumbent platform is doing the work and delivering the results that advertisers want, then it's going to be very, you know, it, it takes a long time to get embedded into that process. So it won't change overnight. So I can't really see, you know, if Bidstack used this initiative with uh, the AAA gaming company to then springboard on and 
get embedded with other agencies, um, you know, I really think they've got first mover advantage. And once they're there, they'll have the resource to to update, uh, adapt, improve the, the platform that's there. And it'll be very difficult for a competitor to break into that market. Yes, in, indeed. And of course, it's a significant uplift in the in the revenue with the advertising spend, a minimum of, of 30 million. Maybe there are some concerns there about you know, the, the margins if we're going to be seeing going forward the, well, and this is obviously what's been agreed, that uh, they've now effectively outsourced their sales function to uh, another entity. So it's going to be interesting to see how that performs um, for them because obviously that will... Uh, alleviate them from having to go out and speak to to agencies but there could be some negativities there as well in terms of who they're they're able to speak and who they're able to get onto the platforms that's now obviously in the hands of their partner so going to be waiting with some interest to see what their next update to the market will be so Moving on now, our last stock we're going to discuss today is one that we regularly touch on on the podcast due to uh, the strong level of updates and obviously the strength of their um, assets and the portfolio that they're working on there in terms of the developments that's happening. It's ECR. What's the latest update from them? Okay, well, ECR Minerals, of course, we've um, uh, um, it's uh, investors well know the company from uh, the key assets they have in Australia. Of course, this is in the middle of the Victoria Goldfields. Um, they have two flagship projects, the Creswick project and the uh, the Bayliston project. Um, and uniquely, um, the company um, acquired uh, three properties within the area. Um, because the area is so fertile it's it's um it, it, you know it's it, there's been gold exploration there for hundreds of years lots of old mine workings and and so on and of course what companies are doing today they're taking modern uh, data mining um uh, programs uh, revisiting old mines and old dormant mines and they're they're finding uh, you know new veins of, of minerals and uh, and uh, it, putting all this together, it it, uh, it makes for a very strong investment package. But um, at the same time, what, what, uh, of course, there are a lot of landowners in the area uh, who look at this and think, well, I can charge um, anything I like to allow a mining company onto my land. So what what ECR did last year, they acquired three properties, uh, two, one in the uh, um, Springmount uh, Lane area in, in uh, Creswick, um, central to one of the one of their one of their tenancies, and indeed on Monday this week they announced that they had just renewed that uh, license area for another five years. Of course, they that being the incumbent there, they have first right of refusal. Um, up in the Bayliston region, which includes uh, prospects um, HR three, uh, Cherry Tree, and also Blue Moon, uh, the company has some uh, uh, two hundred ninety seven acres uh, at the Nagambi Rushworth Road. Uh, dress which is uh, which is also in the middle of of the prospecting territory. So what this means is um, ECR has the land. Uh, it's already establishing through an extensive drilling campaign that, uh, that, that they're they're finding uh, mineral shoots. Uh, they're finding gold, visible gold, in some of the samples that they pulled out of the ground. Um, and of course, this is all based on the fact that uh, um, uh, uh, about twenty to thirty kilometres away from both uh, both prospects, we have the Fosterville gold mine. And the Fosterville is one of the world's most successful mines. I think it produced some 600 
thousand ounces uh, in 2021 um, uh, of gold, and um, it continues to to pull this out of the ground. And some of the head grades that are being seen are very similar to to the 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 readings that are being pulled out of the ground uh, across tenancies uh, in the Victoria area, and certainly Creswick and uh, the uh, the Bayliston assets are no are, are, are no different in that regard. So um, uh, the 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 whole process, of course, was marred late last year by the tragic and untimely death of the chief executive Craig Brown. Uh, I've worked with Craig since two thousand seventeen, so it came as a real shock to him and, of course, the board. But um, the the work continues, and and I think the legacy that he's created on the ground there is going to. Uh, is going to produce some very exciting results. Uh, um, certainly, as we go into this year, where the uh, uh, we're waiting for a number of assay results to come back, but also in terms of the, the longer term implications, which means because they have properties, they could effectively uh, they can drill uh, or uh, visit any anywhere in the area that they wish to uh, without having to apply for permits um or uh, uh, or bribe uh, uh, i say bribe uh, uh, persuade a landowner to let them onto the land um and of course the uh, the, the process uh, uh, would then follow that if the if if uh, a, a, a network or a, a veining network of of gold and other minerals were discovered in sufficient quantities they would be able to build a mine on the land, uh, whether that's an open open pit mine or whether it's uh, it would be, as in the case of Creswick, uh, a narrow vein underground mine, similar to the mine at Ballarat, of course, down the road, uh, that that would remain to be seen. But um, but the the companies at a very exciting juncture, of course, it's uh, it also raised um, it also raised uh, two and a half million at the start of last year at uh, just over two p. So the shares are now well below that level, uh, and uh, really. Uh, they have fallen on the back of of uh, the the uncertainty over Craig Brown's death, but um, the board have reassured uh, the markets going forward. Everything's continuing as beforehand, and indeed, I interviewed the head geologist Adam Jones last week. You can watch that uh, watch that video if you go to our YouTube channel. Uh, and uh, Adam was very excited about what they were finding, and he mentioned what uh, he referred to as an aha moment. Uh, because of course, as they drill, they're not drilling straight down. They're drilling, uh, they're drilling crossways and at angles, just so they understand the geological folds under the ground. And uh, Adam has uh, Adam, uh, you know, and his team have uh, a really deep understanding, uh, certainly of the uh, uh, from the work they're doing at Bayliston and HR three of the structure that lies underground there. Company also has other assets too. It, it's also it was also granted uh, a further license at Creswick, and that's uh, that's uh, covering the Ballarat East Arena goldfield. So it's the if you like the the license area that uh, joins uh, North Ballarat to Creswick. So uh, they now have uh, a huge area, uh, new area to explore. They have twenty five percent stake in a a project in the Philippines, the Dangle Gold Project, uh, which was confirmed late last year. That's all. That's all. All finalised and confirmed now, and uh, they've already invested some money over the years into that prospect. Uh, plus, they also have uh, they also have uh, other prospects in eastern Victoria in the Tambo region. They have license areas there and applications for another subsidiary Lux exploration up in northern Queensland. So uh, there's a very busy year in prospect for uh, for ECR, and I'm sure in the not too distant 
too distant future, we'll find out more about uh, the new CEO that's uh, that's going to come in and, uh, and lead the company with the existing management team. Indeed. And of course, I'm sure we'll be updating the podcast on any developments we see in their projects going forward as well, as you've outlined there. There's quite a few that they're working on. So potentially uh, a very exciting year for ECR going forward. So uh, just a recap of the stocks that we have discussed today. First of all, with Sainsbury's with the ticket of SBRY. It was then JD Sports with a ticker of JD. We then moved on to Bidstack, which has a ticker of BIDS. And just then was ECR with a ticker of ECR. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Just uh, as a note to listeners, we have the UK Investor Magazine and Aquis Virtual Investor Evening coming up. On the 8th of February, uh, we're going to have a number of, of companies from the Aquis presenting there, as well as a keynote from the Aquis CEO. So do check that out. That's on the events page on the UK Investor Magazine website. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.